0: Welcome, welcome to Conversations in Compassion, a podcast by Dignity Maine, a program of Agape Inc. And made possible by Coffee by Design, Rebel Blend Fund. This is a different kind of podcast. Instead of interviews, we have conversations. This is my effort to demonstrate the examples of what I call compassionate conversation. Through these conversations, I hope to address the discord in our families, in our communities, and in ourselves to focus on the greatest need of our time, the need for compassion. Thank you.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: I wanted to talk to you about, you've been through lots and lots of different episodes of things in your life, and and I would imagine you have a story to share about how the interactions have happened and what's happened to you?
1: Um, I do have a story. I guess it starts when I was really little. I was a, a very happy baby, and then I was abused at the age of four. I didn't tell anyone, and I shoved it down, and I developed severe OCD, mm. um, horrible nightmares. I didn't sleep alone, until I was probably a teenager. I would wake up every night and go into my parents' room, and my mom would come sleep with me because I was just terrified. I also kept that OCD secret Mm -hmm. because it felt like it was my only way to control the world. And then as I got older, the abuse continued. Um, Different people, but it continued as I grew up. And um, again, I kept it all a secret. I thought, I believed that if I didn't share the truth with myself, if I denied what was actually happening to myself and my parents didn't know about it, then it didn't happen. And I could completely ignore it.
0: You could you could feel the decision was that this is happening to me. It's so violating, it's so hurtful, but I'm not gonna tell anybody because then it's not true. Exactly. I can hold on to it uh, and try somehow to put it in a container Mm -hmm. and it was still causing your body and your mind to be obsessive.
1: Oh, very. I was, I was, I had everything ritualized. Mm. So I had to sleep with my bedroom door, a hands width apart, like open. Mm. And it couldn't be, it couldn't be just a little bit farther closed. It couldn't be a little bit more open it had to be exact and i had everything like that in my life had to be perfect and i don't blame my parents for not knowing Mm. what was going on because i really hid it Mm. i hid it well Mm. because it felt so safe
0: Mm. In the the rituals that you were doing, people just put it as part of your personality. Yes, that there was not there was nothing wrong. It was just Adele.
1: Exactly. Yeah.
0: And you convinced them that this is just who you are.
1: Yeah. And I didn't act like I was in distress because I knew that then they would they would they would know the truth,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and the truth was just too painful.
0: Mm-hmm. And. I love how you said it It was not only painful to you, but you loved your parents and you didn't Mm -hmm. want to have them experience the pain either. Right. And so the silence became the very important part of who you were, even if the consequences were, I can't sleep at night.
1: Yeah, I can't sleep at night. I have friends who asked me if I really wanted them over because I was distracted Mm -hmm. and that that made me realize, oh, this is a problem.
0: Mm. Yeah, you couldn't really even go to anybody's house or have anybody over. It, it almost had to isolate just uh, as you hit your adolescence, uh, kind of yes. you know, isolating yourself more and more and more.
1: And I, I did, my brain did something pretty, I think. Um, when I was 12, I started skiing. Mm. And, well, I'd skied since I was two. Mm-hmm. But... I started competing when I was 12 and my mind found an escape mm-hmm. in, in skiing. And I was able to channel all of that OCD and PTSD energy and anxiety into this sport. And I quickly became very good and I was getting tons of positive attention and I was, I loved it. It was I was getting better and better. I was being recognized by U.S. ski team coaches. I was competing nationally and then internationally. And I was almost free from my OCD.
0: Mm. Because you had
1: channeled it. Because I had channeled it.
0: And you channeled it. it. It was so powerful that you could channel it in this direction. And you were free. Yeah. And all of the love and admiration and uh, came to you yeah. by this process Yeah, of being a skier not only a skier, but one of the best.
1: Yeah, it was my whole life. I didn't need any friends because all I did was ski. I didn't need school. I mean, I went to school, but I was checked out for the entire day, just waiting till the end of the day when I could go ski and burn off all that anxiety. And then in 2010, I became very ill and we didn't know why. And I'd lost a lot of weight. I lost all of the muscle that I had built. And I had I had trained myself into a ditch. Mm. I had trained so hard because I was so, so riddled with anxiety
2: mm.
1: that I, I trained until I had injured myself. Mm. And then I got sick. Mm. And recently we found out what caused me to be sick. And it's a genetic condition. Mm. But for 10 years I didn't know. Mm. And... I've I really miss skiing mm-hmm. and miss that lifestyle, but I also am grateful that I didn't keep skiing and that I did have this this past ten years of kind of like bumpy health because it t- has taught me about empathy.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, because before you could only see the ski, the slope, the mm-hmm. the the next step, the next part, the the better time, the. The better affirmation, the applause, the right. And, yeah. and and that somehow that wasn't enough. Yeah. And then the injury came. Yeah. And something was happening to your body. All the time you were going through that. Yeah. And you pushed up against it even.
1: I did. I went to the Mayo clinic in two thousand ten and I I fought for a diagnosis. I fought so hard. I went to all around New England and Minnesota and saw so many different doctors. And every single time I just was met with, this is in your head. This is something like, this is your anxiety. This is an eating disorder. This is, and and they weren't wrong. I did develop an eating disorder, but it wasn't until after I got sick. And so I, I felt very misunderstood. For for 10 years.
0: Mm, mm, Painful 10 years.
1: Yeah. I've met some amazing people in the last 10 years who have just blessed me. Um, But really, really painful and traumatic in its own way.
0: I'd love to. You said you're desperate for a diagnosis. Mm -hmm. A diagnosis that wasn't blaming and shaming. Yes. Like this is in your head, Adele. It's yeah. so blaming, is so shaming, something wrong with your thinking. Yeah. And you knew that, that, that can't be, I, it's more than that. I, it's, it's something, help me. Yeah. And all you would get back is, Adele, it's in your head.
1: Exactly. And that re reaffirmed, okay, I must be crazy. Mm. And if I'm not, if, if I'm, if anything's wrong, it's my fault. Mm.
0: Yeah. And that. And that the trauma that you had experienced, even though you started in the 10 years of telling people about the trauma, they kept saying that the trauma is even your fault.
1: Yes. Yes.
0: In the sense that this is what you're suffering from. Yes. Rather than this is something that happened to you. Yeah. And that's a huge distinction. Yes. And all those years of trying to keep it secret started to kind of ooze out of you in this 10 years.
1: Hmm. I told my parents about the abuse um, when I was 25, mm-hmm. and I was in an eating disorder treatment center at the time. And my therapist didn't believe me. And I, I, sh- I shared with my parents my memories from childhood, and they were unbelievably supportive. Mm-hmm. They broke down crying and gave me hugs and all the support that they had. And I felt so loved by them and so judged by my therapist mm. at this treatment center. Mm. And this was the same treatment center that um, a year later I went back to. And they they told me outright, you are too sick to be helped. Mm. And that was, that was so crushing to me. Mm. And I know it's not true.
0: Oh, how beautiful those words. I know it's not true.
1: Yeah, they, they were seeing a broken part of me. But they weren't seeing me.
0: Right. They weren't seeing the woman that took the trauma and focused her life on being the best that she could on the ski slope, which means that she was going to use the same determination. Yeah. To be the best she could in the context of a genetic disposition. Yeah. And you could feel how you've gone through those 10 years and there has been an incredible amount of judgment. Oh, yeah. Painfully so, and leaving you in a place where I think you said it earlier. I'm crazy.
1: Mm-hmm. I question my sanity almost every day.
0: Mm.
1: I think I'm. I must be making something up. I must be hiding something from myself. Mm-hmm. I must not know the truth. Just echoes of what professionals have told me.
0: And it's it, it's been so oppressive mm-hmm. that. You've heard over and over and over that those whispers of you are crazy you're it's in your mind you're not working hard enough,
1: yeah, one um, psychiatrist at a treatment center i've been to way too many, mm. and they didn't help, um, but one treatment center had a psychiatrist who told me that for what I had been through in my life, he was surprised I wasn't institutionalized mm. And I I know it was a compliment mm. but it just made me panic mm. and wonder is that where I'm going to land? Land. Um
0: just no tell me a little bit about where you'd like to land.
1: Oh, where I'd like to land. <laughs> I really want to open a treatment center mm. for people with the same genetic disorder I have and other chronic illnesses. Um coinciding with eating disorders Mm
2: -hmm.
1: and have therapy dogs and (laughs) massage therapists and everything healing. Mm. And I'd love it to be in Maine because Maine is a beautiful state Mm. and we don't have a really nurturing program here for eating disorders. Mm. And I don't think anyone in the whole country uh, treats Ehlers-Danlos syndrome correctly at treatment centers. Mm. I I was at some of the best treatment centers in the country and they just didn't understand. And so that's my dream. Mm. That's where I want to land. I want to give back to mm. people who like I don't I don't want anyone to have to go through what I went through. I want them to be believed immediately.
0: Mm. I I love that to be believed immediately. How beautiful that is and just seen and believed and heard. Yeah. And not judged. Yeah. You know, I mean, you, you had millions of dollars of treatment and all of it fundamentally not believing you. Yeah. And how how after a while it it, it starts to take a whisper of its own.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Like I'm crazy. Yes. I'm sick. I'm going to die.
1: I'm too sick and it's easy to agree with them mm. because then they're kinder. Mm. At, at one treatment center, they told me I had um, a vomiting uh, condition, but a doctor never diagnosed me. It was just um, a therapist assuming that I had cyclical vomiting syndrome. And so they, they secluded me in my room for three weeks. And they told me that the reason I was isolated in my room was because I needed to be without stimuli because that's how you treat cyclical vomiting syndrome. But to me, it felt like a punishment Ooh. and it felt like they were trying to break me. And when I didn't break because I I couldn't stop vomiting because it was unintentional, they discharged me. And I was so grateful that they discharged me <laughs> because being alone in a room for three weeks only teaches you about yourself.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it allows the negative self-talk that maybe they're right. Yes. Maybe, you know, maybe there's something really, really wrong with me. Maybe I'm, I'm, I really am crazy. I mean, that's, being left alone with no stimuli, that's the only thing that comes out of that.
1: Yes. And I was supposed to be gaining weight and resting and... Um, being nourished. And instead I was panicked, Mm. locked in a room Mm. and I paced all day long. And I got so many more steps than I ever get outside of treatment (laughs) because I was pacing in this tiny room Mm. for Mm. three weeks, just Mm. trying to get by. And it it kind of reminded me of um, what I did with skiing, how I just kept going and kept going and kept pushing harder and harder to try to numb from the thoughts, the
0: the feelings, the feelings the, the, the negative self-talk, the the whisper that uh, you didn't matter, yeah, and that that there was something really wrong with you. Yeah. and that the world was not to be trusted.
1: Oh, yes, I learned that from a very young age.
0: Well, that's the four. Yes. that's the that's the initial trauma, like you don't matter, yeah, and then it's, and, and then people start doing things to you that actually I mean I'm shocked, but it, you know that seem incredibly bizarre as we talk about it.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: take a, a young woman who's frail and 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 has a lot of negative self-talk from trauma and put her in a room for three weeks, yeah, locked, yeah, and punish her, yeah. For vomiting,
1: for something that I had zero control over. Right. It was hard.
0: Hard is a sweet word, <laughs> comparably.
1: Yeah, uh, it was. I'm almost grateful for it, mm. um, because I learned how to be by myself. Mm. But it was not compassionate, mm. and it proved to me that I really, I really don't have control over this vomiting Mm -hmm. um because if if i could have controlled it i would have yes being isolated is not something that i like um or anyone yeah i i gave this treatment another a second chance um last year a little less than a year ago because i was sick again and they were i was already in denver and i just agreed to go to the closest place. And they, again, treated me just inhumanely. Mm -hmm. Uh, I have a feeding tube because I'm not able to keep food down by mouth. And the the time before I'd been there, they had me on a tube feed formula that I couldn't tolerate, that Mm -hmm. I was allergic to. And when I discharged, I ended up in the emergency room because I had ripped my esophagus from throwing up so much acid because of this tube feed. And so when I went back the second time, I told them the only, my only requirement is that you give me some other tube feed because the doctors at the hospital said I can never be on that tube feed again. And they thought I was lying again. And so they put me back on it. Mm. And they didn't understand when I told them I can't take anything by mouth. And so... They made a made a rule that I wasn't. They weren't allowed to crush my meds and put them through my tube. I had to take them by mouth, and that for me meant going off twenty some prescriptions cold turkey mm. because I was taking them by mouth, and then they were just coming up all. And that's when my parents stepped in and said enough's enough, mm. and they they flew out and picked me up. And um, at the time, my diet my old dietician really wanted me to go to another program, mm. and I couldn't. I was I was too hurt. Mm. I was too beaten down, and I'm so grateful that I didn't mm-hmm. go to another program because I found so much healing being at home.
0: Mm. And having your family around you. Yeah. And uh, just making it one day at a time with that sort of little determination, that sparkle in your eye that... The one that was willing to walk up and down in a locked room or the one that was on the ski. There's something in you, Adele, that just says, I am going to. And, and can you say any more about that? Because that's always been your friend.
1: Yeah, I'm very determined. <laughs> and when someone tells me I can't do something, I want I want to prove them wrong. I remember someone told me I couldn't go to the Olympics. I, I wouldn't make it. And I remember thinking, okay, I'm going to make it. And I didn't, but I tried. And my, my GI doctor now says, let's get you back to the Olympics. And mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, it's a, a kind,
0: yes. right.
1: kind thing, but I'm past right. that.
0: Right, I'm past that process of trying yeah. to reach that goal. Yeah. What it means is, let's touch that determination in you. Yes. It's it's there's this duality of the you know even the young woman that was deciding to keep it secret was was really determined. Yes. So determined, you know. And as you got older, it got harder to do it. You found ways, uh, skiing and so on. And now you're you're sort of beginning to appreciate that part of you. Yeah. The get out of my way. I'm not going to be judged or shamed and not be put in a locked room for something I cannot control.
1: Yes. I, I know what is true and what is what is fake.
0: Yeah, and it's... It, it's uh, I know how to take power and control over the destiny of my life
1: mm-hmm.
0: and to do that uh, with kindness to myself. And there's a, that, that sheer determination.
1: And it's a struggle to... To be kind to myself, I blame my my body for things that it really isn't responsible for. Mm. It, it, the trauma wasn't my body's fault. Right. The constant state of anxiety that I live in isn't my fault. And yet I feel these things inside me, and I get angry mm. that they're there mm. instead of questioning, like, well what does this what is this telling me mm. like what what needs to change for the sensation to change instead, I just think, oh, this stupid body is not working again
0: mm. and that's where you're trying to you' you're trying to radically accept yeah that there's a genetic component that there's anxiety from the trauma and that that is in my body mm-hmm. and that I need to radically accept that and then there's another voice that says, I'm mad at it. Mm-hmm. I can't perform like everybody else can perform i can I can't do everything that every I have to walk around with a feeding tube i have to mm-hmm. you know and and uh, I have to see professionals all the time i it, you yes know? and and so you're mad and furious at you a part of you
1: yeah at a part of me that really has no control
0: and is only holding the things that have happened and the things that are yeah and you're trying to figure out how do i how do I have acceptance and love for my body?
1: Yeah, it's a hard question to answer. <laughs>
0: yes, yes, so beautifully hard. Because because when we talked about landed, what did you want? You wanted that. You wanted that kind of love and compassion for you know for people that had struggled with the things that you struggled with. Yeah. You wanted them to love their body or care for themselves or mm-hmm. and to have the people around them in their environment to really nourish. Yeah. However and whatever has happened. Yeah. And the the struggle for you is, how do I keep that vicious critic to not turn on me?
1: Right. Because then I can't help anyone.
0: Mm. Right. And have a hard time helping yourself. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. And you can feel like that's a hard fight. That's the one that's hard. What do I do with that one?
1: Helping myself. Right. Yes.
0: To not turn sharply towards your body
1: yeah it's there there's an act of just radical acceptance like Mm -hmm. okay this is the body that i was born into my parents created it it's not their fault that it has ehlers-danlos syndrome right and other co-occurring issues Mm -hmm. but it was a gift Mm -hmm. this body was a gift and it really is a gift. And it really, it really gave me some amazing experiences with skiing. Mm. And I feel like there's a part of me that wonders if, if I had gone through my whole skiing career and at 30 retired,
2: mm-hmm.
1: I might still have struggled just 10 years later. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It I happened to get sick at twenty, mm-hmm. but I, because of the the genetic condition, I was bound to struggle at some point. And because of the trauma, I think it came earlier.
0: Mm. Yeah, they coexisted. Yeah, and that in that coexisting, it broke down faster. You know, and the anxiety from the trauma broke yeah. down possibly this genetic piece uh, sooner. And you said something earlier. Which I was profoundly touched by you said i i wouldn't I wouldn't trade in the ten years,
1: yeah, I wouldn't,
0: you know, and there's no regret,
1: I remember one time in when I was a kid, we were this is kind of a tangent, but I'll get to the point we were <laughs> okay, we were climbing sailboat masts mm-hmm. and they were like hauling us up with ropes. Mm. And I was scared of heights and I said, I didn't want to do it. And they told me that I would regret not taking the opportunity. Mm-hmm. And I remember telling them, no, I won't regret it. I yeah. don't really regret things. Mm-hmm. And it's it's very true. I, d- I don't often find myself regretting mm-hmm. decisions. I sometimes wonder if I made that decision differently, would I be in a different place? But I don't like beat myself up for for not taking an opportunity or for taking an opportunity. And the last 10 years, I mean, before I got sick, I was so one-directionally focused. Skiing was it. My family had been the only thing that I focused on with my OCD. And then I started skiing and I wanted to fly on an airplane alone and I wanted to travel and and I could do it because it was in the in the best interest of skiing Mm -hmm. and i didn't i didn't know how to have compassion for my friends who were struggling Mm -hmm. i didn't know how to feel empathetic Mm -hmm. to someone who is like me but Mm -hmm. maybe presents differently and all of the treatment that i've been through has taught me how how to have compassionate conversations with Mm -hmm. with other people and even though there was so much pain in that,
0: mm.
1: I really wouldn't trade it.
0: Mm. It's almost as if by being in the process, it taught you something that is a greater gift than being an Olympic skier.
1: Yeah. It connected which is that
0: me. It connected you to people. It connected you to suffering that is going on in the world, which when you were focused, so focused on skiing and uh, so obsessed with it, you didn't mm. see any of that. Right. And, in fact, you tried to make sure it didn't even exist. Yeah. Um, and that even though you were treated pretty poorly on a lot of different places, which I'd like to say I'm sorry. Thank you. You got a gift out of it. I did. And you got a gift of, you know, spending time with therapy dogs. and Yeah. You got a gift of empathy for others and uh, who have struggled with some of the things you've struggled with. Um, It's almost like this gift, this positive piece came despite what was going on with you. Yeah. What would you say as we sort of try to finish this up? What would you say once you've had that gift now as you look back?
1: I am am more blessed than I know.
0: Mm. And it was the thinking that didn't allow you to experienced that yeah it was the thinking that there was something wrong it was the system of you being seen as broken yes that made you not feel the blessing yeah of your determination your focus and now you've turned that focus away from you know the skier you've turned it towards empathy you turned it towards being there for yourself and others
1: yeah one of the One of the things that I like the most is talking with people who are also going through something hard, Mm. and feeling like I am giving them space Mm. so that they can grieve. Mm. It it brings me so much peace. Mm.
0: Love that grief, just to feel the sadness. Yeah, to feel the and also feel the joy. You know, the joy of of life and living and seeing what you want and the word landed you know i yeah. want to land in a place where my days are nurturing myself and nurturing others yes and doing that in in ways that i know to be helpful to me
1: yeah and listening to others and taking their advice too because i know i don't know everything
0: mm. i'd love you say take advice you know from others i i i, I imagine that you are in a place where you're going to have to prove to me that you're empathetic to give me advice. it's It was almost like not anyone can get away with that anymore.
1: Yeah. The people who are truly struggling can give me advice. Mm.
0: Mm. And people who are truly struggling with me. Yes. Earn the right to give me advice. Yes. I'm very touched by this story and I appreciate you.
1: I'm honored that you asked me. Thank you.
0: Thank you for listening to today's conversation. I truly hope you enjoyed it. If you like what you hear, please consider subscribing to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you find your podcasts. I'd like to give a heartfelt thanks to Coffee by Design and their Rebel Fund for their support to help make this podcast possible. Thank you again for being here. Take care.